Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a lovely week and lovely weekend so far. Um, today I'm pretty, I was thinking about what I'm grateful for, because, you know, usually for my shows I like to open with a little bit of a gratitude statement. And uh, today I'm really grateful for just having some time off work. I, it was a long weekend this weekend and I took an extra day, so it was just, I'm really grateful to get a little bit of extra rest and doing a little bit of my running around and stuff and just being able to enjoy um, being outside, going for nice long walks and, and that sort of thing. So I'm pretty grateful for that. And uh, earlier today before I was uh, recording my show, I had, I enjoyed a little bit of the um, decaffeinated coffee that I've been drinking for a while. It's almost out, so I'll have to find another uh, decaf coffee. Maybe I'll try out a different brand or something like that. Um, hang, on, hang on. There we go. Maybe I'll, yeah, I'll try out another brand or something, but may as well just finish this one off. It's almost done. Uh, and then I'll, I'll explore something else. And if I find something good, I'll, I'll definitely share it with everyone. Um, so I, like I said, I hope you all have been having a really nice weekend. And uh, for today's show, I'm going to be talking about uh, the fourth book in Madeline Ingalls' uh, Time Quartet. Sorry, if you hear a little bit of background noise, um, there's just someone doing something, uh, and I, unfortunately, the timing, I, I should have tried to record it a, a little a little earlier, but I just didn't get the chance. So if you hear a little bit of noise in the background, I'll try and remove it as best I can in the post, but if I can't, then it's just a little bit. So if you hear it, then, uh, apologies. Um, so with that being said, so yeah, today I've been talking about the fourth book in Madeline Engel's time. Uh, I think it's called a quintet. It's five books in total. So apologies if I got that wrong, but she has, uh, a series of, uh, five books, uh, her time series. And the first book I've already, I've already kind of reviewed the first three books. It was the, um, uh, oh man, that was like escaping my, you know, when you have like the name of a book on the tip of your tongue and then when you're trying to remember the name and it's just escaping you for a second. Um, so the, A Wrinkle in Time, there we go. So the first book is A Wrinkle in Time and that one was really cool. I, uh, you kind of um, got introduced to the idea of a tesseract, which is kind of like a, almost like a quantum leap, so to speak, like um, traveling between different dimensions. And that, that that was sort of talked about in the first book. And and then you also were include uh, introduced to the Murray family. So Meg, Charles, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Murray, and uh, and then of course Calvin, uh, who has later on becomes Meg's uh, husband and partner, and um, not in that book. I mean, like in the th in the third book, you learn that they get married. And, and so in the the first book, um, you know Charles Charles and Meg, Calvin and you know have to go save uh, Mister Murray, who had become uh, he became. He got captured, and so he was in in, uh, in a prison on a planet uh, which was ruled by 
uh, IT or, or world brain. And you know how the last book I was talking about the world sensorium and that was about a world, the emergence of this world brain. That's why I wonder if Madeline Engel also read that book and was like, oh my God, what a madman. And it kind of wrote that uh, with, that was the inspiration to write the first book. Um, Because Madeline Engel, she was, I do believe she was a biologist and uh, she had an interest in physics. I don't know if she studied physics, um, but she used her knowledge in biology and physics as well as her uh, faith, because I think she was a Christian, uh, to write these stories. And so the second book is called A Wind in the Door, and it follows Charles, and Meg, Megan, Charles, and Calvin are in it, as well as some new characters. And it's about how Charles Wallace is getting sick, he's getting tired, and it's because his mitochondria are under attack. And so that, that was more uh, exploring, like, the the world of the small, uh, and uh, there is these ekthros, e- uh, these kind of dark-sided entities that were uh, tasked with destroying and tearing things apart, including the mitochondria, which is why uh, Charles Wallace was having uh, troubles because he was losing his energy because the mitochondria are the powerhouses in our body and they create, they, they're what enable us to have energy and stuff so he was really struggling with that and uh, so Meg and Calvin travel into Charles Wallace uh, to save um, to save to save him and of course Meg and Calvin are accompanied by um, I think they're called cherubims and um, I think in Christian mythology they're like the guardian beasts in heaven and so one of them follows uh goes with Charles, or Meg and Calvin, along with Meg's, uh, I can't remember if he's a former former principal or if he is his, her principal, but they sort of go together in that story. And then in the third book, um, the story revolves more around Charles. Meg is still in it, but she's kind of, in that book, she's uh, expecting her first child, so she kind of takes more of a a supportive character. Like, she's traveling... She travels with Charles, but for the most part, the story is about uh, Charles, and he's accompanied by, I don't think it was a unicorn, I think it was more like a pegasus, you know, the, the horse with wings, and uh, he has to travel to uh, what might have been. So he traveled through time to uh, try and find a what might have been to change the course of human history, because at the beginning of the book, there was this a possibility of another war breaking out, only this time it'd be more destructive, because I think there might have been nuclear weapons or something, but um, the they were trying, you know, the story is that uh, Charles Wallace was trying to change that and have, and find out what might have been to so that there is no war when he gets back to his present time and, and he's successful, he does that and it was a really interesting story about time and how um like the history of a place like when we grow up and our ancestry and how we're rooted to a place and how that can uh, have an influence on our descendants and so on. it was a really good story and then in this book the fourth one many waters it focuses more on uh the the twins so charles and um, Megan, 
or Meg, they have brothers, Sandy and Denny. And for the most, in the last three books, they also sort of take like a more backseat supportive role. Like they're considered the more quote unquote practical uh, family members. Like they don't really, you know, they're not really exposed to the the tesseract, or they're not really exposed to the different mythical beasts and the mitochondria and the ferrandoli. Um, so for the most part, you know, they just, they study, they want to go get normal jobs and they, you know, one of them wants to be a doctor the other one wants to be a lawyer. And then they have a beautiful vegetable patch that they, uh, uh, tend to at their home and stuff. So, you know, they're a little more practical. They're not at the beginning of the story. They don't really believe in like the kind of the mythical or the kind of quantum, uh, stuff that their brother and sister is more involved with as well as their parents so uh but that all changes because at the beginning of the story what happens is that the twins come home uh for uh, yeah they're coming home and it's kind of cold I think it's like the winter so they're looking for some hot chocolate and they end up going into their mother's lab and they didn't read the sign on the door they kind of just walked past it and it kind of reminds me of like you know, now, now think about it. I used to work in customer service and signs just don't work. You put up a sign and people still <laughs> walk past it or they still, um, you know, do not, you know, you put a sign and do not enter and someone still enters and you're just like, the hell? So, you know, it's totally relatable. People <laughs> miss signs all the time. And so they miss this sign not to go into the lab because there's an experiment and they go in looking for hot chocolate and they come across the co this uh, computer, and there's an experiment going on, and they kind of mess around with the computer, and they end up being transported back in time. Like the, I think the experiment was about like virtual particles or something like that. So they they go back in time, and they end up uh, in this desert, and. You know, at first they're not sure if they're on planet Earth or maybe they got transported to another part of the galaxy, but they're just kind of like, oh, oh my God, like, where are we? And they're trying to figure this out. And meanwhile, you know, it's it's really hot. Like, they, they're in winter clothes, but it's the desert and it's sunny out and it's hot. So they're starting to overheat. So they're trying to, you know, strip down to their, uh, just what to what they wear or what they need to wear. And then they try and turn their clothes into like, um something that will shelter them from the sunshine. And in that process, they end up uh, be getting over overheating and starting to get really badly sunburned. And they come across, they meet uh, a family of, um, of tribal people. Uh, the first person being Jeff, I think it's, so pardon me if I mispronounce some of the names wrong. So I'll try my best to announce the, or to provide a proper enunciation, uh, but they meet a character named uh, Japheth, and he's the son of one of the main characters. I won't get to him right away, um, but he's out in the desert, and he come, comes across the twins, and he realizes that they need to get out of the sunshine because they're not... Um, you know, he can tell that they're not from there. Like the twins, like he mistakens the twins for giants, because the tribal people there are much smaller, and they also live longer, like they live for hundreds of years, whereas, 
you know, people in present time, like, you know, we only live for decades. So that automatically Japheth can under, can tell that these people, you know, the twins aren't from here and, but they need help because, you know, they're, he can tell that they're starting to get, uh, sunburnt. So he summons unicorn, a unicorn, a couple of unicorns or not him, but the twin, he encourages the twins to, uh, call upon the, the, the unicorns and he has help. So in the story, I thought it was really cute. They have, uh, the tribal people have kind of like little mammoths, like the, but they're more, they're almost kind of like, uh, companions in a way, like pets almost, you know, similar to like dogs or cats. Uh, and they, they live in with the human families and the mammoths have, uh, the ability to summon, uh, unicorns. And what, what was kind of interesting because this story, it did feel a bit different. Like reading this book, the tone of the book felt a bit different f- from the previous ones. It was a little more like of a coming of age story for the twins because, um, and I'll get to it more throughout when I'm talking about the book, but they kind of meet, um, a tribal girl named Yelith and they both really like her. Like they kind of start, you know, they fall in love. Um, but then they also come across, um, a Tiguan, I think is her name. And she's another tribal person, but she's more on the dark side. Like she's kind of more of a seductress. So there's a bit more of like a, maybe a little more of a mature element to the books. And so the thing with the unicorns is that uh, Sandy and Denny's can, or Sandy and Denny, they can um, interact with the unicorns because they're still virgins. <laughs> um, whereas Japheth, you know, he's married, he has a wife, so, you know, he's not really, he can't really do that, but he can encourage the mammoth to um, summon the unicorns. And the unicorns are almost kind of like the a virtual particle, like, you know, they don't exist until someone starts to believe in them. So as soon as the mammoth calls them, the boys start thinking about the, the unicorns and they come into existence. And so they ride, both boys get onto the, um, each one gets a unicorn and they ride off into the desert, but they get split up because what happens is that they're so sunburnt that Danny, he ends up falling off the unicorn and they're trying to tell him, no, 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 don't fall off, don't fall off. But he ends up passing out because he's so sunburnt. And so because he loses consciousness and because the unicorns are kind of like these virtual particles, like the only, they'll disappear when someone stops believing in them. Um, because Denny loses, loses his uh, consciousness, the unicorn uh, and Denny both kind of disappear, but they're not gone. Like they'll, they can come back once they've been summoned. If someone summons the unicorn again, Danny will come back. Um, that kind of starts off the story where the two boys are split up for the, the first little bit. Um, Sandy is brought to, uh, grandpa Lamech or grandfather uh, Lamech's tent. And he tends to Sandy and he helps to bring them. He helps to, uh, kind of, uh, not cure it, but heal Sandy from his, because they're both really badly injured from the burns. And so he helps to uh, revive Sandy along with the mammoth who brings a fresh water to put on, keep the wounds moist. And then in the story, there's a couple other mythical beasts. There's 
uh, the seraphim and the nephilim and i'm kind of familiar with the nephilim already like they're uh christian mythology they're like the fallen angels and then the seraphim the only thing i'm kind of familiar about with seraphim is from reading rudolf steiner's work and like i know that or according to steiner there's a hierarchy of angels like there we have we each have like a guardian angel and they're really present with us when we're kids and then when we become adults it's up to us to maintain the relationship with the angel um and then there's the archangels which are um kind of i guess they're more uh evolved so they they're kind of involved with humanity but maybe more so on a bigger level and then there's the seraphim which are kind of above that and I'm, i can't remember exactly what they do cuz they've also kind of evolved to the point where they've they've moved like they're involved in other stuff so i i can't i'm not too familiar with the hierarchy or with like the organization of uh these celestial beings but that from what i understand seraphims are like angels and archangels they may just be um involved maybe in a they may have a different role to play or different responsibilities than from angels or archangels at least that's to my knowledge i could be wrong um but they're kind of like so the seraphim are very similar to angels angels and archangels um and then the nephilim are like the fallen angels and they're in the story as well and uh they're also trying to influence humanity especially the women in the because uh, what happens is that the twins are brought to an oasis so the the oasis is kind of like the city uh, kind of like a city so to speak and uh grandfather lamech is his tent is situation is situated on one part of the oasis and then where danny goes so danny he ends up in um a tent that he doesn't really know but the people there are really mean and awful and abusive and he ends up being being summoned cuz someone summons the unicorn i think they also have a mammoth and the mammoth ends up summoning the unicorn but the unicorn disappears because there's no one that's you know like pure <laughs> there um and so denny's is just left there or denny he sorry he's just left there and the people um uh, pick him up and throw him in a garbage dump which is pretty awful so you know he has to struggle to get out the garbage dump and he finds his way i can't remember exactly if, if it's the mammoth that helps him um but he finds his way into another tent which happens to be father lamech's son's tent who is noah and if you are familiar with the bible this is the story of noah's ark and that's kind of like what the the, the underlying story of the book is about is uh the twins meeting uh well first Danny meeting Noah and then Sandy meeting Father Lamech and then as they're recovering from their wounds they start to get to know the families and you know they realize that you know father grandfather Lamech and Noah are, you know they kind of have a strange relationship and so Danny tries to encourage Noah to um repair their relationship because father lamech he's old in the story he's about 777 years old <laughs> um cuz remember like this the lifespans and 
their height of the of human beings back then, according to the story, was different from uh, what it is now because you know all the tribal people in the oasis think that Danny and Sandy are giants, right? That they're from over the mountains, and that you know at first they weren't sure if they were seraphim or nephilim because they're about the same height as these beings, but um, but they're not, so they assume that they're just like giants. And so throughout the story, you get to know Noah's family. You get to know um, his his sons and daughters, especially uh, Yaleth, who helped Sandy. Uh, she's a, one of the girls in the story, and she helps Sandy uh, and, and, and Danny, too. Uh, she helps the boys recover from their wounds, uh, their burn marks and stuff. And, uh, and then you also find out that she's trying to be one of the Nephilim is trying to influence her uh to get in a relationship with him because you know they in the story I guess in in the oasis they're trying to seduce some of the women there to reproduce and uh I think Yelith's sister Mahala she becomes involved with one of the Nephilim and she gets pregnant and they end up having a child but because of that like Mahala and the family is kind of the relationship's a bit strained, and then you also have uh, Tiguan, who I mentioned earlier was. Uh, she's not related to the family, but she's related to the sister, one of the sister-in-laws of the, and and so, she's also being influenced by an FLM, to try and get as much information about the twins and why they're at that p- particular time that time frame as much as possible. Like they want to know why the twins are there. Like, you know, that L send them like L in the story. L is like God. So they're trying to figure out did God send them. Like, what is it? Are they a threat? And so they send Tiguan to try and uh, seduce the boys. But, you know, unfortunately what ends up happening is that the family, remember the fat, how I was saying that Denny appeared in a tent where the family there threw him in the garbage. Well, that was Tiguan's family. So ever since then, like Denny, you know, he, he's been pretty suspicious. He doesn't like uh, Tiguan. And then also Sandy kind of picks up that she's not a nice person. So he is also very suspicious of her. And I think there's the contrast between Yelith and Tiguan was there in the story just to show like what healthy love looks like where um you know the the people involve care and respect for one another and then there's like the unhealthy love where maybe it's just only desire or someone is using someone else for their own personal gain like there's no um there's no real mutual caring or understanding or tenderness um so I think that was kind of a contrast and then the seraphim are there as well and they're trying to help both the twins recover from their injuries um and then also trying to figure out like why are the twins here like you know what's going on and then throughout the story Noah speaks with L because L has communicates with him and L sometimes communicates with other other people as well so L talks to different people and he talks to both father Lamech, and he also talks to Noah, and he speaks to Noah about the coming flood, 
and the ark and the need to build the ship and how um, only Noah's, I think his wife and his sons and their daughters or and their his daughter-in-law will be on the ship. And then, of course, a, a animal of each or an animal from every species will be on it. And that the, the flood will last, I think it was like 40 days and 40 nights. And that the humanity will be wiped clean, like the, the slate will be wiped clean. And so he has to start preparing for the coming flood and, and start building the ship. And the twins help him. Um, but the twins can't really, like in the story, they don't really, they try not to say too, too much because they're, they're the ones that kind of figure out who Noah is and like, they know that the, the flood is coming even without Noah telling them. And so, but they try not to tell the other, the others because they don't want to mess around with the timelines too, too much. Um, and they already changed something because they encouraged Noah and, father Lamech to or grandfather Lamech to uh unite to forgive each other and to uh come together as uh, father and son because like I said father grandfather Lamech he's dying he's old he's 777 years old and so he's going to be passing on soon and so he you know he wanted to make up with his son before he dies. And he was able to do that with the help of the twins. Um, and that's as far as any changes were made. And so they didn't want to make any more, but they also realized that they have to go home. Like they can't stay there because they're going to get washed out by the flood. And they're also worried because both twins are in love with uh, Yelith. And so they're worried. They're like, oh no, what's going to happen to her? Is she going to be on the, sh the boat? Um, you know, at first they thought about, you know, or Sandy thought about bringing her back to the their timeline, but that doesn't really, or that's not really going to work because, you know, she's she's small. It it's a different time. She may not have like the immunity to the viruses and stuff that we have now, so so she may get sick and die. So it's, it just it wouldn't have worked out. But what ended up happening is that the seraphim took Yelith. You don't really find out what happened to her, but they they take her, and I guess maybe she joins Enoch, because they do make reference to uh, Grandfather Enoch, and I think, from what I know, he wrote the book of Enoch, and then I think Enoch ends up becoming the Archangel Metatron. Um, yeah, because in the story, he was saying that you know, Father Enoch, or Grandfather Enoch, and L, which the equivalent to God, often walked in the garden, and one day L just L and father uh, or grandfather Enoch, they both left. Like Enoch went with L somewhere, and no one really knows what happened. But you know they figured that he's fine, and so maybe Yeleth went to the same place that Enoch went, and the seraphim took her. And what was interesting is that both the Nephilim and the seraphim, they each have the same number of of Nephilim and seraphim, like there's 12 each. And and 12 is kind of a sacred number, like there's 12 months, 12 zodiac signs and so on. So there was 12, and 12 disciples. So there was 12, 12 of each, you know, 12 Nephilim and 12 uh, seraphim. And the Nephilim were kind of, I think metaphorically, they were more trying to 
represent maybe our lower natures, like the just kind of more narcissistic and pure desire, whereas the seraphim represented more of like the noble, um, I guess, more, yeah, the more noble nature of integrity and honesty and, and serving God and so on. So they had that interesting contrast. And even because what would happen is that the seraphim and Nephilim would also, they would transform back and forth between their their kind of angelic form and then they would also have an animal host or animal host so the nephilim would often be like maybe rats or crocodiles or you know reptiles and so on like and vermin or what i consider vermin and then um the seraphim would be more like the majestic beautiful animals like lions or camels or a sacred scarab beetle or an owl or something. So it's interesting how the different, um, or the animal forms that they picked kind of corresponded with their natures. Uh, and so, okay. So what ends up happening is that near the end of the book, um, that's what Danny's and, or Danny and Sandy remembered how they were talking about the tesseract and how to tesser. And so they figure that maybe if they, with the unicorn's help, if the seraphim, because in the, the, in the book they treat time and space as sort of relative, so they figure that maybe if the seraphim go ahead, like back to the original, their present day, and then summon the unicorns to them, that Sandy and Denny can be riding, can each be on a unicorn, and so when the unicorns are summoned by the seraphim, they would end up going back the, to their timeline. Um, and because it's a virtual, it was a virtual particle, it wasn't like matter is transforming into energy and then vice versa. It was more like the power of belief. And when you believe that the unicorn is there, then the unicorn materializes. And I think that kind of relates to in uh, quantum theory or quantum physics like there needs to be sort of an observer for a particle to appear or for a particle to kind of do something but without the observer it's not really doing it like it doesn't really well it's probably doing something but it's not really it, it really takes form when there's someone observing it so it's like that belief is what gives the unicorns their form and and perhaps it's that belief that will also help um, Sandy and Denny get back to their timeline. And again, because they're not going from a state of matter, matter to energy and, and back again, um, the Seraphim figured that this is actually possible because it's simple. It's just, you know, it's like there's no real distance until between the past and the future because in order for because of the fact that the unicorn will exist once someone believes in them and then disappear once someone uh, stops believing in them. So I hope that makes sense, but it works. So the mammoths in the story, um, I hope they survived. I think they did get onto the ark because I really liked them. They were cute. Um, the mammoths would summon the what the or sorry, with the help of the mammoths, 
the uh, twins summon the unicorns, and then they, you know, they get on the the seraphim go, uh, to the present day, uh, or Sandy and Denny's present time, and they summon the unicorns, and it works. Sandy comes back, uh, Sandy and Denny's comes back. They come back to the present time, and then the, because they've been in the desert for so long, they their skin is tanned and their hair is kind of more of, like a bleach blonde color. So, you know, without having to, they didn't really have to, want to have to explain to their parents what happened because they figured they'd be in trouble. So the seraphim do one last thing where they uh, restore Danny and Sandy's appearance before they went to the desert. So they're kind of, you know, they're a little more pale again and wearing their winter clothes and so on. Um, you know, and then everyone says their farewell and then, you know, Charles Wallet or not Charles, Sandy and Denny do kind of get like a little bit of a lecture from their mom because they're like, she's like, oh, what's going on? Like, why are you in here? Um, you know, you're not supposed to be in here. There's an experiment going on. I have a sign and everything. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And then they're just like, oh, we're just trying to look for some hot cocoa. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So they don't really say anything. I think Charles Wallace might have caught on to something or caught on to the fact that there might have been something going on because he notices that they don't have any, like, they're in bare feet, they don't have any sh- shoes or socks. Uh, but it's kind of left up to, I think Madeline Engel let, leaves that up to the um, author or the reader to kind of fill in the blanks from there to see, maybe, because in the story, Charles Wallace, I think he's... Maybe he has like clairvoyance or something, but he has kind of like an extra sensory ability. So he kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up on the fact that something did happen. Um, but he might not have like pushed uh, Sandy or Denny to say anything. But maybe that's, you know, that's kind of left up to us as the reader to kind of use our imaginations to kind of continue continue the story from there if you want. Um and that's about it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed reading the book. Uh, it is a bit, the tone is a little different from the first three, but I still really, really enjoyed it. And I liked a little bit about like the, the virtual particles and the, um, unicorns and stuff like that. And a little bit of the mythology around the different creatures. Like there was a griffin in there as well. And again, more of like a, the griffin was sent to help protect the boys from the Nephilim and and Tiguan who was trying to uh, seduce the boys at first and then um, what I also appreciated too is that um, in the quote or in, or in the book uh, it was often said by characters that many waters can't quench love and I thought that was beautiful because even though what the flood was coming like you can kind of still see like people cared for each other and even um, you know like Mahala, who had gone off with the a Nephilim and had a, a baby with a Nephilim, like the uh, the family still checked in on her to try and make sure that she was okay or, and being looked after. Um, even Taeguan, like, apolo- in her own way, apologized to the boys for what she did and so on. So there was still, like, even though this tragedy was coming, like, there was still a lot of concern and love that the characters showed each other. And I thought that was a really great way to illustrate that many waters can't quench love. And it kind of also made me think, cause like 
you know, this week I kind of picked a book that was maybe a little more uh, fun and lighthearted. Like it wasn't like the World Sensorium, which, which was last week. Um, but it just kind of made me think that, you know, maybe it's not so much many waters can't quench love, but maybe it's um, many world brains can't quench love or something. <laughs> you know, like these people and their counterfeit reality like they'll never they'll never be able to def quench love you know they just can't so that kind of made me think about that like even among a tragedy like there's still um the currents of love still flow which i, I thought was beautiful and with that because it was a pretty it was a pretty it was a short story there wasn't there isn't much more to the story than that and I enjoyed it thoroughly and I encourage people to uh, read read her books I'll probably read the not right away because I have a couple of other books I want to read um, but her fifth and final book in the time series I'll definitely uh, pick that up sometime soon and maybe finish finish the series and maybe do like a more in-depth overview of all the books or something maybe something fun like that um, and then for next week the book I'm going to be reading for the next couple of weeks kind of ties in with this one because it's by, um, or it's called Worlds in Collision, and it's by Emmanuel Villa Villa Villakowski. Oh, I, I know I messed that up, so apologies. Um, I'll I'll get the correct name for next week, and uh, and I think too I want to make a correction because in the previous show I think I called it Worlds collide but it was actually supposed to be worlds in collision and uh it's a book that kind of explores um some hi important historical events that you know are recorded in the bible but um like it's, it's a explore so far i've been reading it already and so far um, and there's there was a lot of controversy when this book was written because the scientific community did not like it because it challenged a lot of their the scientific theories about the nature of the cosmos, and so he used um, Emmanuel goes back in time and looks at the historical data of these major events like the ex mass exodus in Egypt and uh, kind of talks about the celestial um, events that were taking place in space that at that time that influenced the exodus or may have influenced the great flood because there were other cultures that have similar stories about a flood. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how those books sort of um, relate to each other. And I'm really looking forward to uh, reading it. I'll probably end up breaking it up into two parts maybe three because uh, I don't want to rush it because it's so far has been I already started the book and so far it's really interesting um, so I'm looking forward to that and uh, thank you for tuning in so it's a bit of a shorter uh, show today uh, but the book was a wasn't like I said it wasn't a long read and but it was a really fun read and I enjoyed it and I highly recommend uh, checking it out and I hope everyone has uh Enjoy the rest of the weekend and week, and uh, thank you for stopping by the cafe. Have a blessed and heartfelt um, week. <laughs>